This episode of the Boss Builder Podcast is brought to you by Boss Builder Academy. If you are a newly promoted supervisor, somebody who's in the role and struggling, or even somebody who's thinking about one day making the transition to management, it is an overwhelming and stressful job. To help you out, please check out our Boss Builder Academy. Our Boss Builder Academy gives you the knowledge and skills you need to be a successful boss through a series of videos and guided discussions. It's something that you can do in as little as five minutes per day, and it will give you practical, tangible, tactical skills so you can be a great boss. For more information, check us out at www.thebossbuilders.com or call us at 931-221-2988. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you that are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and those of you who are thinking about making that big transition one day to management. You know, if you were the boss, there's a very good chance that you have a boss. And if you have a boss, you probably have occasionally run across a bad boss, a boss that is difficult to deal with, a boss that doesn't give you clear expectations or gives you way too many. The big question is, how do you handle that? More importantly, if we can learn how to handle our boss, could we set up ourselves to have our direct reports have a better relationship with us? The answer to all that is, of course, otherwise we wouldn't be doing the episode. And fortunately for you, I have an expert in that area. Our guest today is Mary Abijay. She is the author of the book, Managing Up. And what she's going to do is she's going to share a perspective from people who are managed and how they view their boss and how she is training them to have the conversations. It's important insight for you. In fact, she's going to give you some advice on how to be a better boss then I want you to take that information and use it to build a better relationship with your own boss. She's got great examples. She's a lot of fun. I had the privilege of hearing her speak at a conference a few months ago, and she gave me a copy of her book. I recommend you get that book. But more than that, I want you to listen carefully as she gives you some tips on how to manage up. So with no further delay, let's go ahead and meet our guest, Mary Abijay. Mary Abijay, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mac. I am super delighted to be here. Mary, I am excited too. I met you for the first time at the Penn Sherm meeting this past summer, and you were the first speaker of the morning, and basically the whole room kind of exploded because you had all this energy, and I had the misfortune of having to get them like after lunch when they were all dead tired from being worn out by you and by good food. But I was very impressed with your talk, and more importantly, you have a new book, and the book is called Managing Up. And I want to talk to you about that book and, and about some of your techniques. But before we get there, Mary, I was hoping you could share something about your background and tell us more about what you do. I can. I'd love to. And by the way, for your listeners, when I met Mac, he was so awesome. It was love at first sight. I'm not going to lie. I was like immediately taken by your presentation as well. Um, uh, so I've, I'm, I think everyone should be jealous of me because I've actually got to meet you in person. Um, but enough about you. Let's talk about me. So again, my name is Mary Abijay. I am. I own a little consulting company called Cur- 
career stone. And we do uh, organizational development, a lot of team building, a lot of uh, leadership development and career development work uh, here in Washington, D.C. And, you know, I've been doing this work for, I want to say, about 20 years. Uh, and I love it. And, you know, the book is really a result of for so many years uh, working with groups and teams and, and companies and hearing people complain about their bosses and hearing their bosses complain about them. And I thought, you know, let's have a conversation about this. Let's have a conversation about how we can all manage those relationships that matter and how we can really learn to manage up. Because, you know, bosses aren't perfect. And so that was that was sort of the impetus for writing this book, to help people take control of their career. Well, the good news for you and I, at least I don't think you have a boss. I know I don't have a boss, which makes life so much easier. Well, except that we have clients. And <laughs> which, yeah, I guess so. I never thought about them as the boss, but again, I guess, yeah, they make demands on us. Yeah. But having the boss, the one that, you, you know, on a Sunday night when you're getting ready to go to work and you can't sleep because you you know the boss will be there. That's that's what I think of. That's yeah. bad. Yeah. That's yeah. Bad. So, so let's talk about this. I hear cliches a lot. And one of the cliches I hear is you need to learn how to manage your boss. You need to learn how to manage up. So tell us from your perspective, Mary, what does it mean to manage up? Well, to me, what managing up means is managing that relationship, the relationship you have with your boss. It's about consciously really trying to develop that robust, effective working relationship with the you know, the people above you in the food chain so that you can be successful, they can be successful, and the organization can be successful. It's not about manipulation. It's certainly not about sucking up or kissing someone's behind or licking their boots. That's manipulation. It's not about being a sycophant. It's about understanding that that relationship matters, the relationship with your boss matters, and doing what you can do from where you sit to build a great relationship with somebody who may have a different perspective than you, a different amount of power than you, different priorities, different workplace preferences, different pet peeves, so that you can both be successful in service of the organization can, can be successful. So I like to think of it as a threefer, but it is about managing that relationship. All right. Well, for most people that have a good boss, I would think that their conversation with their boss is one that's seamless, there's flow. You know, for example, you your assistant has dealt with Lisa, our operations director. I'm Lisa's boss. And I think Lisa has no problem telling me when I'm full of crap. And that's what I appreciate about her. <laughs> I like to think I'm a good boss. After all, that's what we try to fix at Boss Builders. But for majority of people, this is what I fear. They've got a difficult boss. And when I heard you give your talk, I love the part of your talk about the difficult bosses. So can yeah. you share about the difficult bosses. So some of us can say, yeah, yeah, that's my boss. Yeah. So the thing about the difficult bosses is, you know, bosses are going to, are going to happen on a spectrum, right? You're going to have on the one end, you're going to have the Mac boss, the unicorn boss, the fabulous boss, the boss that values you when you're in sync and you're in alignment. And every day it's like, you know, bluebirds are bringing you coffee and it's just easy. And when you have that boss, there's not a lot you have to do, right? You just get to do you and just be there and show up and it's all great, but you're going to have a spectrum all the way from bosses who are a little bit difficult for you, a lot difficult for you, really difficult for you, or on the far end of the spectrum, Mac, 
if you work long enough, you might have the boss that's the total living nightmare. That's the truly terrible boss, the boss that is abusive, abrasive, the boss that's a psycho, crazy, narcissistic, shouting, screaming bully. And when you're at that end of that extreme, the toxic boss, there's not a lot you can do there either, except to get yourself out. Because in the, in the middle is where most bosses live. Uh, and this is... And I want to be really clear, when we talk about difficult bosses, I don't want to label them as difficult people, right? What they are is they're probably doing the best that they can, but their best isn't good enough for you or it doesn't really work for you. In some ways, you are different, so it's hard to actually work for them. And those are the difficult bosses, things like the micromanager, the nitpicker, the ghost boss, the the uh, the impulsive boss, the incompetent boss. These are the boss types, the boss behaviors that are difficult for us and that I say instead of like letting those bosses derail your career, that's when you have to get strategic and pragmatic and start figuring out how you can make the relationship work so that you can succeed, they can succeed, and the organization can succeed. Well, I mean, that's that would be in a perfect world. But for most of us, I think we get this feeling. I, I can only go back to my days, and you heard my talk where I talked about the evil Captain Davies. He's yes. a man with more power than I could ever imagine having. And the worst part is I can't quit. Yeah. You know, when you're in the military, you just can't quit. Yep. So, I mean, that is a, that is an, an awful nightmare, Yeah. but, but for, for most people, they don't have that relationship where you're basically chained to that person, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, the thing is, is that, uh, we have to also take a step back and look at, at why bosses can be, why bosses aren't very good, right? So, uh, why many of them aren't very good. So 75% of Americans say that their boss is the worst part of their day. That's really sad. 75% of Americans say their boss is the worst part of their day. But if you look at how we met, how we create bosses in America, it makes sense, right? So first of all, we know that people get promoted based on their technical skills and not their aptitude or acumen for being managers. In fact, in many cases, uh, the becoming a manager is the only way to move up in an organization. So you have bosses who don't even want to be a boss, but it's their only way to promotion. So they take that step up. And as I'm sure you know, once they're there, we don't even train them, right? So the majority of Americans work for what's called small businesses, right? And small businesses don't have a lot of leadership development dollars. So you are having people in the boss, uh, in the boss arena uh, that uh, a, are not necessarily qualified to be a boss on based on their boss skills. They don't necessarily want to, and we're not training them. And so this is why you, we are going to have a whole lot of different kinds of bosses. They're going to be, some of them are going to be hard for us. Some of them are going to na be naturally good at it. So we have to understand that when we have these bosses, we have to understand what we can do from where we sit to make their relationship work. Um, and that's really what managing up is. It's like saying, you know what? I could quit. I could stay, but here's what I can't do is I can't change that person. And once we understand that all we can control is who we are, what we do, our reactions, our actions, our interactions, that's what gives us agency and power in that relationship. Because if we get fixated on changing you, like I want you to be differently, I want you to behave differently, you're not going to change Mac. Right? I could request different behavior from you, but I can't make you behave any differently. All I can do is control my end of the relationship. Well, I agree with that. It's it's going to be hard. And I know that you have a solution because your your book gives us that solution. But before we get to the good news, let's let's stay with the bad news for okay. a while. 
So what are some of the ramifications of having to report to a bad boss every day? And then I want you to think about and tell us about the organization itself. If you've got a bunch of these, what's the cost of that? Well, it depends on what you mean by a bad boss. Like they come in many shapes, uh, shapes and sizes, many flavors, right? So if you have a boss who's just like difficult, like maybe they're nitpicky or they're just, they make your life, your life stressful, it's going to cause, you're going to have to put in some extra effort, right? So let's say you're dealing with a micromanager. You are, it's going to require extra effort on your part and you're going to have to manage that and manage your stress. But if we're talking about like the truly toxic bosses, the bosses that are the truly terribles. Here's the problem with that is nobody's coming to save you. And my HR people, I know you know this. I know you want to save your people, but unfortunately too many of those toxic people are at the very top of the organization. Too many of those toxic people are what we call high performers and organizations are so reluctant to get rid of high performers. We keep the brilliant jerks because organizations spend way too much time worried about their bottom line and not about the climate or the culture of an organization. And that is a very, um, I think, think long-term unwise move for them. Uh, there is study after study that shows the bottom line, um, uh, the bottom line cost of keeping these toxic bosses, these bosses that are bad, where people keep uh, leaving them and leaving the organization. So until organizations actually get smart and they start really holding managers accountable for being good people managers, then we are, we, it's what we have to do then as employees and staff people try to figure out how to make that work for us. Uh, the Buddhists tell us that when you know, you're faced with a difficult situation, uh, you have three choices. You could either accept the situation, which means like, you know what, I accept that this person is who they are and I'm just going to accept it without rancor, without bitterness, without complaining, right? So that's number one, accept it. Number two, your choice is to change the situation. And because we can't change other people, all we can do is change how we choose to engage in the situation. And then the third choice is to leave the situation, right? And maybe you can't quit that job, but maybe you can find another job within the organization, or maybe you can find another boss, or maybe you can quit that job. And but the, the thing is about managing up is you want to make sure that you are in choice. Uh, because when you're not in choice, when all you do is complain or you're resentful or or with good reason to be resentful or angry you take yourself out of choice. You take yourself out of actively managing your career. And that's really the end of the day. What I want for people is I want people to have choice about what they're doing with their career. So would this explain, cause I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking about the relationship between a person and a bad boss, maybe like a relationship a person has with a significant other where it's toxic. Yeah. And, and I know people that they go from one bad one to another or worse, they stay with one where it's abusive is that same thing happen with workplace relationships? And if it is, why do people stay in that horrible place? Oh my God, I love that you asked that. Yes, it is very similar. So I did an article for uh, HBR last year and did a lot of research just on this. And it was really stunning uh, what I discovered. Uh, first of all, if you're working for a toxic boss or in a toxic culture, it's actually very dangerous for you health-wise. You have a 60% increase in your chances for developing heart disease, strokes, and a whole host of other maladies. Like it damages your health. It can take up to two and a half years to recover 
from that toxic situation because as you said it is like a toxic spousal situation and uh the 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 social the social health people are likening it to ptsd it's that damaging to our psyche and the really stunning thing i learned from studying this is that people that work for toxic bosses or in toxic cultures tend to stay with them longer than people who work in normal organizations or for normal bosses. And we stay longer for a couple of reasons. One, we get uh, psychologically and emotionally just completely depleted, right? Uh, it's like it's like Stockholm syndrome. Like we just, we lose the sense of who we are. Number two is we think someone's going to save us. Like hope springs eternal. Someone in this organization has got to like realize like this is a bad thing. And if we just stick it out long enough, it's something's going to change. And the third reason people often stay is that uh, we find these toxic bosses in, in very high, either high meaning fields like law and medicine or saving the world or in very high paying jobs. And so we stick it out because we love the job and we're willing to put up with it. And what I'm here to tell you is you got to get out. <laughs> it's really bad for your health. And, you're, and, and you bring that toxicity home. I probably get more cards and letters, and by cards and letters, I mean emails and tweets, uh, from people who are in relationship with someone who works for a toxic boss. And they are emailing me saying, how do I help my wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, you know, significant other escape their toxic boss? And it's, it's really sad for me to say there's nothing you can do but keep supporting them and encouraging them to leave. Well, then on a personal note, then, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was always taught when I was a kid, don't quit. And if you quit one thing, you'll quit all yep. the way through Quitters life. Quitters never win. Mm -hmm. Quitters never win. But when do we know we ought to quit a bad boss or a bad situation? What is the sign? Because because there does come a time you have to quit, right? Yeah, you know, and I love, it's like, it's like, you know, do you quit? Like, how long do you grit, right, before you quit? Because you don't want to quit the first sign of trouble. Uh, so I would say this, really take, first of all, pay attention to your health. If you are stressed out, if every Sunday night you just feel the ulcer coming up, you know, and you feel the anxiety, uh, if you're losing sleep, if your friends and family say to you, what's wrong with you, get the hell out, like, that's a sign. Uh, start to really notice like how you're feeling. Are you trying to avoid the boss? Are, is he or she a screamer, a shouter, a bully? Um, how much are you dreading going to work? Are you spending more time worrying about your boss than focusing on your career? These are some signs that it might be time for you to move on. And even if your boss isn't like the worst thing ever, but the relationship just doesn't work, you know, try, try again. But at some point, you've got to put yourself in a position where you can be successful. You know, we often get caught up in the, uh, you know, like, oh, I put so much time in here and, you know, I've already made the corner office or this or that. And we get lured by what's known as our sunk cost, right? You're not getting that time back. And we forget that when we stay in some place that we're not thriving, that we're giving, we're, 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 we're avoiding our, we're, falling prey to opportunity costs, which means we are losing the opportunity to put ourselves to our next best use. And so I honestly think you try, try again, but if it doesn't work, put yourself to your next best use. Like I, I, I really hate the expression YOLO, but I'm going to use it. Like this is your career and your career comes by once. Make sure you are doing what you can to be in control of it and use yourself to the fullest. 
I believe, Mac, that work should be a place where you get to be creative, where work is a place where you get to use your intellectual capital, where you get to be alive and, and energized, because that's where we spend our waking hours. And if you don't have a relationship with your boss that allows you to do that, I say find another opportunity. Well, I agree with that. Well, I got to tell you, Mary, one thing that annoys me, because you've seen me, I'm not the most fit guy on the planet, is when some skinny guy tries to tell me how to get in shape. So you're helping people deal with bad bosses. Have you actually ever had a bad boss yourself? Why do you think I work for myself? <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was like a magnet for difficult bosses. You know, I've had a couple of good ones, uh, but I had some real doozies. And the last one I had was a toxic boss. And I thought, you know what? This guy's kind of a jackhole. Like I, I can be a jackhole. Like I could do that for myself. I don't need somebody else doing that to me. And I really did get tired of, of bosses that that weren't very good at what they what they were doing. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start my own business. Um, and I've never looked back. I started my first business when I was 29 and I am in my fifties now. So it's, it's really great. So now of course I'm trying to not to be that jackhole to other people. I'm trying to be a good boss, but you know, the end of the day, we have to realize that, um, you know, we can't change who they are, right? It is who they are. So we can only, I view managing up actually as being a very pragmatic thing, a very strategic thing. Like I look at somebody and I try to figure out what is the puzzle of that person and what can I do? And I'm, and I'm not talking about doing anything illegal or immoral or shifty, but like, how can I interact with that person so that I can build a relationship so that I can be su successful, she can be successful and he can be successful. It's really for me, a very pragmatic approach. And the other thing is there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of thousands of things written about how to be good leaders and managers, right? You're off on a mission of goodwill, but there's no one's teaching us how to be a good follower. And when I talk about that, people are like, rah, rah, what? Follower? Because we have to realize that in any relationship, you have to, we have to lead and follow. And so sometimes when we reframe these difficult relationships, we have to think about what we need to do as both a follower and a leader in that relationship. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. How many hours of your day are wasted by managers calling with personal problems they really should be able to handle on their own? Why not give them a copy of the Essential HR Handbook? The newly revised and updated 10th anniversary edition of this bestseller is jam-packed with tools, checklists, sample forms, and timely tips to guide you through the maze of HR issues in today's complex business environment. So, buy a copy of the Essential HR Handbook for each of your managers today, and keep a copy on your own desk too. And now, back to the show. Well, we've got some options then. We can quit the bad boss. Yep. And when I remember as a kid, um, I guess it was back in the 70s, uh, a country singer named Johnny Paycheck sang this song, Take This Job and Shove It, which was, I know that song. It was yep. the anthem. And my dad, I remember him saying, yeah, I wish I could tell my boss that. And yet most people can't. Mm -hmm. So so for those of us who are in the situation, we can't quit our boss. Now, is this where managing up comes in? Is this the solution for us to be able to make that situation work? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I hope so. That's why I wrote the book. I hope that it can. Uh, for many difficult bosses, there is a way to do it. Um, you know, the terrible, the, even the truly terrible, it's a little bit hard. But should we give some examples to people? Yeah, please do. Because I'm sure people have this wide spectrum of people. Yeah. 
So yeah. yeah, whatever you can give us, Mary, we are all ears. All right. So let's talk about let's talk about the number one complaint about boss uh, in in America, maybe the world, and that would be the micromanager, right? Uh, micromanagers are always over your shoulder. They're always telling you what to do. You don't have any autonomy, uh, and you feel really stifled by the micromanager. So here's the good news, right? We've all had one. No one likes them, but here's the good news. There are ways to manage up to a micromanager. So I will offer a couple of thoughts for this. Number one is you, first of all, don't label that micromanager as a control freak. Like, because once you label them as one thing, you exclude any other sort of strategy. So micromanagers need, um, well, human beings have neuropsychological needs, right? So one neuropsychological need that human beings have is the need for autonomy, right? I need autonomy. You need autonomy. We all want autonomy. And when someone steps on our autonomy, we get very angry and frustrated. We actually get trapped by our amygdala, our reptile brain, and we go into fight or flight. But human beings also have a need for certainty, right? I need to know the sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set, I'm getting paid on Friday, and you're going to do that project the way I want it done, right? And so when you're dealing with a micromanager's high need for certainty, uh, uh, their high need for certainty is going to stomp on your high need for autonomy. But you need to know that until they get their certainty, you are not going to get your autonomy. So instead of resisting their need for information, instead of resisting their need for inclusion, instead of resisting their need to control, simply give it to them, right? It's like keep them informed. Be proactive. Give them status reports. Find out how they want the job done and then do it the way they want it done. And all too often, we just resist this. And the more we resist it, the tighter we hang on. People are going to micromanage for a whole host of reasons. It needs to be done a certain way. Maybe you have a performance issue and you haven't been performing well, so they're going to micromanage you a little bit. Maybe you're new at the job. Maybe the bosses above them want it done a certain way. So my advice to people who have a micromanager is to give them the information, give them a little bit of inclusion, and give them the sense of control that they need. And eventually, they will. once you prove yourself, once you gain their trust that you are doing things the way they want them done, they should let go. Well, that's good advice. And it's almost counterintuitive, right? It's like we're playing tug of war and we decide we're just going to let go of the rope and let them have what they want, right? Oh my God, that is the perfect analogy. That's exactly right. And well, the reason we resist it is our sense of autonomy gets stepped on. And and we also resist it because it's going to take extra effort. I want, and it does take extra effort. I'm not going to lie. And we also are going to resist it because we're like, well, it's not fair. It's not right. Well, you know what? You're right. It's not fair. You're not, you're right. It's not right. You just have to do that. But that's the reality that you're facing. So instead of wishing things were different, deal with the person you actually have, not how you want them to be or they should be. Okay, that's powerful. So the micromanager. So yep. that's I know that that speaks to a, a huge amount of our audience. So give us some other bad bosses right. and some strategies. All right. So let's talk about let's talk about uh, the impulsive boss, right? Because uh, people are challenged by the impulsive boss. So the impulsive boss is the boss that, like, every day they roll in and like uh, they have six new pri- six priorities one morning, and by the afternoon there's ten different priorities. You know, on Monday we're going to go this direction, on Tuesday we're going in that direction, or they go to a conference and they come back and they have ten new ideas. You know. And by the end of the day, those ideas are gone. So it's all the sands are always shifting. You don't feel like you, you know, could get a stake in the ground. It just feels very like, you know, remember that dog from the movie, uh, very squirrel, 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 right? <laughs> right yeah. So, 
the impulse, and I find it an impulsive, like when I have an impulsive client, I do find it challenging because, you know, my nature is I like to get stuff done. And when I have, when I'm working with someone impulsive, that throws me off, right? So dealing with an impulsive boss, first thing you have to realize is that your job, whether you like it or not, is going to be to kind of take all the impulsive energy and, and, and craft it into something manageable and usable, right? It's a better team sport than an individual sport. So you're really going to have to try and see what you can do with all those like cray-cray uh, ideas, all the energy, make it useful. So the, some of the keys for the impulsive are to try not to be negative Nancy wet blanket right away, right? So if you can assume positive intent on the impulsive, like they're just trying to do something good, creative, new, make a mark, then uh, don't when they come in with like their, like let's put a new office on Mars, don't immediately be like, wah, 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 that's stupid, we can't do that. Instead, see if you can kind of tap into what the kind of kernel are of inspiration they're trying to do. Maybe it's just a new office. Maybe it's a new direction. And, and, and see if you can tap into that. And use the word yes and. Like, don't yes but them. So you could say like, oh, Mac, an office on Mars. That's a great idea. Or that's an interesting idea. And... I'm not so sure we're allowed to go to Mars. How about we go to Columbus instead? You know, so you kind of shift into something more doable. The other thing with the impulsive is it's going to be your job to say, oh, that's an interesting idea. And where does it fall on our list of priorities? Interesting idea. And what resources do you want to pull from other areas to place into this? Uh, that's an interesting idea. And let me give you some pros and cons around how we can make that happen. So you want to keep shaping it and bringing it down. And the other thing, if you have an impulsive boss, is, you know, hedge your bets a little bit. Like, if they come back from that conference and they have 10 new ideas and you know darn tootin' well, none of them are going to stick, or maybe one, don't dive headfirst Harry Carey into all the projects. Wait a day. Wait a, wait a day or two. Dip your toe in, but don't don't dive in head first unless you have to. You have to know your boss to do that, but that can be really, really helpful to just, like, slow your roll a little bit. Okay, so micromanager, impulsive, what's another typical boss and some strategies. Okay. So I live in Washington, DC, the land of the overachievers, the land of self-importance. Uh, and so we have a lot of workaholics, right? And we, people complain about workaholics all the time, right? And the workaholic is the boss that's always working. She's there before you get there in the morning. He's there after you leave in the evening. They're texting you on the weekends. They're emailing you at all hours. They're always on. They're never stopped working. They don't seem to have a life. You feel like you're on a hamster wheel that you just can't get off of. And it can be very stressful, right? So that's the workaholic. Um, so you're dealing with a workaholic. There's a couple of things that I want you to think about. The, the first thing is you're going to need to bring your A game every single day, right? So for a workaholic, it's all about output, 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 right? So you want to make sure that you are really putting out as much as you can. And you're going to want to keep your workaholic boss informed of your output. Never assume for any boss, actually, that they know what you're accomplishing. Always give them a little bit of like status reports or something so they know what you're accomplishing and what you're getting done. So that's number one. Bring bring your bring your A game, provide them with status reports, let them know how pro dazzle them with your productivity. The other thing I want you to do is to um 
be really clear about your work boundaries and their requests, right? So your work boundaries are when you're willing and not willing to work. Like, are you willing to work weekends? Are you willing to work past six or seven o'clock at night? Like, what are your boundaries? And when you give your boundaries, make sure that you do that. You're transparent, but also tactful. Like, I don't, I don't recommend going, yo, dude, it is 505 and I am Audi 5000. Like, that's not going to work very well. Uh, but be tactful, but transparent. But also be really clear about what their requests mean. So I confess I'm a little bit of a workaholic. Uh, so I do tend to email my team on the weekends now and then, maybe send them a text. Uh, because the weekends are when I'm catching up on like the business side of the work. And I am really clear with my team. I do not expect you to answer those. I'm just emailing you as I'm thinking about it or texting you as, uh, as, as it's coming off my desk. I'm just putting this in your queue from Monday, right? So be really clear about whether your boss is just cleaning off her or his own plate uh, and putting it onto yours for the next workday or if they want something answered. Now, the last tip for the workaholic boss is even though I am going to tell you, and I mostly mean it, Mac, even though I'm going to tell you, you know what? I don't expect you to work on this weekend. Oh no, that proposal can wait till Monday. Oh no, this email, don't even worry about it. Just this is from Monday. I'm going to tell you that and I'm going to mostly mean it. But when you actually put a little extra effort in and you actually answer an email on a weekend or you like give me an extra hour during the week, I'm going to love the person that does that a little bit more than the person that doesn't. So with the workaholic, a little extra effort can go a very long way. Now, I don't mean that you have to be me, but honestly, giving an hour or two extra now and then will really show that you're committed to the workaholic. They're just, I'm not going to lie. They're just going to love you a little bit more. Wow. Well, I guess with all of them, they all are trying to be successful. So I guess the last question I have, we've talked about individuals who are dealing with different bosses and the fact that we have to manage up. But, you know, some of the people on our podcast are actually bosses. So yes. what advice can you give to them? I wonder if they even realize what an impact they have on people's lives. What would you tell the boss? Oh my God. I love that you asked me that. So yes, for those of you who are bosses and all of you are HR people. So number one, I hope that this will not only help you with, with, with your bosses and your careers, but I hope that you can share some of this knowledge to the people that come to you complaining about their boss. Now, for those of you who are bosses, it is really important to be really thinking about not only how you are managing up, because the higher we go up in organizational life, we still have to manage up and it's going to look different. So you've got to keep your managing skills up to date. But I really want you to think about how easy are you making it for people to manage up to you? How clear are you with your people about your preferences, your priorities, your pet peeves? How clear are you with your people about your expectations, about what works for you, what doesn't work for you? How open are you to actually receiving requests for different types of behavior, different types of engagement? How clear are you about your actual impact on your people and how you're being perceived? There's this great book out there, uh, 
by this woman named Dr. Tasha Yura called Insight. And she really talks of, she talks about emotional intelligence, but she really talks about beyond emotional intelligence, it's really about understanding how you are impacting others. So she did this study where she asked a whole bunch of managers and leaders, like, you know, uh, how self-aware were they about their impact on their people? And something like 90, 95% of managers are like, oh, I am really self-aware. I know exactly who I am and how I impact others. And she said, great. So she went and then surveyed the people that work for them. And she asked them, like, what's their impact? And what she found was that of all those people, the 90, 95% of people who said they, they were sure about their impact, only 15% of them, one five, had the same sense of their impact, impact as the people with whom they were impacting. So as managers, don't be so sure that your intentions are having the impact that you want. You really, If you really want to grow people and have a, a high-performing workplace, you have to be the kind of manager that's having the impact, a positive impact, impact that you intend to have to really drive employee engagement. So go find out, go have conversations with your people, go ask them how they like to work, tell them how you like to work, discuss preferences, discuss priorities, discuss pet peeves. And I guess that'll take some trust. I mean, like yeah. when my wife says, Hey, does this make me look fat? Like, Oh my God, what am I supposed to say? But you, now that's a wholly different thing, Mac. That's like survival. That is like, honey, this is what you say, honey, I love those pants. And I think I like the other ones better. I love the end. Okay. Well, you taught me a lesson too, but more importantly, <laughs> I want bosses to realize this. Of course, this is the, the audience we deal with at Boss Builders. Look, you guys are the topic of conversation around the dinner table. You have such an impact. <laughs> and if you really ought to know how you're showing up because you are basically on the minds and in the souls of your employees all the time. And what are you doing for them? So Mary, thank you for answering these questions. Thanks for sharing the techniques of managing up. How can people find out more about you? How can they contract with you to have them uh, bring you into the organization? And where do we get a copy of the book, Managing Up? Oh, you're so sweet, Mac. I have to say thank you for doing the work that you're doing and helping bosses understand that they do impact people's lives and souls. Um, I, that's beautiful. I love it. All right. To get a hold of me, it's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You can find me on Twitter, Mary Abajay. You can find me on LinkedIn, Mary Abajay. You can find me at um, uh, uh, on my uh, company website, which is careerstonegroup, all one word, dot com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Mary Abajay. Uh, and you can buy the book at uh, any bookseller, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, I guess those are about Walmart, like anyone, all the online booksellers have it. Or you can visit the, the webpage uh, for the book, which is ready for this? Managingupthebook.com. Very clever, I know. <laughs> Very original. And if you were at Penn Sherm, you actually got a free copy where, that's right. that's where I got my free copy. So unfortunately, if you're listening to this, you probably didn't go. So buy the book. It's good stuff. Mary, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Thank you, Mac. And thank you all your listeners for tuning in. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. You know, if you're listening to these as you are commuting to and from work, I would highly recommend you listen again when you get home just so you can take some notes. We do our best to get you great information. And sometimes if you're like me, you got to write the stuff down. On another note, for your further development, if you work for an organization and you think that it would be valuable to partner with us, which I think is a good idea, 
We invite you to check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. We have three options, our signature driving results on-site workshop, which our trainers come out and deliver for you. We also have our very popular Boss Builder Academy, which is video driven. And we also offer the option of having your organization license our training materials so that your trainers can go ahead and deliver them on site. If you're listening to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher, the other thing we'd appreciate is if you could just take a moment and leave us a brief, positive, of course, review. That would really help us out a great deal. And refer this podcast to anybody you know that you think could benefit from it. Until the next time we meet, get out there, boss up, boss on, and more importantly, make a commitment to being the boss at being a great boss. Goodbye.